You are listening to the Five Acre Parables Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Five Acre Parables Podcast. I am Andrew House, the co-host. With me is the main host, Daniel. I'm not the main host. We're equal in hosting duties, but that's okay. All right. We are here to do an end-of-the-year wrap-up episode. We are going to begin by talking about things we learned on the homestead this year and then go into our goals for 2024, what our goals are on the homestead. Then we're going to go into the spiritual side of things we learned this year that are from the Bible or in regards to church, and then some goals we have, spiritual goals that we have for 2024 for ourselves. So I'll go ahead and begin. The first thing I learned on the homestead this year is just how easy it is to propagate some kinds of flowers, specifically irises and daylilies. So I've been leaning into trying to create a very pollinator-friendly garden area and even going up into some of my orchard area. And so I had access to a lot of irises and a lot of daylilies. I went to my mom's house and divided some of her flowers and hers hadn't been divided in a very long time. They, they benefit greatly from being divided. Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot, lot, lot of flowers. I gave away, like, I don't know how many dozens of daylilies to other people. Cause I just had too many for us to plant, but daylilies and irises are incredibly easy to propagate and are very good for plugging into places that will last a long time. And interestingly, I also, because I'm a nerd, did a bunch of research on them, and irises are like the toughest plant that people plant on a homestead most of the time. And I started noticing that this was true. This is how people described it. When a homestead falls apart just because people move or old age or whatever, the house is gone. The barns have fallen down. There's nothing left except maybe the stone foundations. The irises will still be there where they planted them. And as I go by old places that had flowers and stuff outside of an old house, they're absolutely right. There are still the same old irises. Usually it's the old deep purple ones that are still growing there because they're just that tough. So if you're looking for an easy border plant, an easy easy plant to plug in for uh, erosion control or something in kind of a shady area that you just need something to be tough and not die, irises are a good thing to plug in there. Daylilies are just as easy as well. I could have told you that. That's actually one thing I knew already. Have I not told you about my irises? No. Um. So my grandmother who passed away, it's been almost 15, 14, 15 years ago now, uh, loved irises, um, thought they were amazing. And I learned to love them from her. After she passed away, I got some of her irises and uh, then got some from my other grandmother who's still living. And then a friend of the family gave us some. And I just dumped them all in the backyard of the house we used to live at in Springfield. This was before Elizabeth and I got married. And I had a huge iris bed in the back. I literally just dumped them on the ground and they went nuts. Yep. 
So then when we moved to Tennessee, I divided the bulbs, took them with me, and dumped them on the ground and got another set. And then when we moved back to Missouri, I divided them, took them with me, dumped them on the ground, and got another set. And then I'll give you one guess what we did when we went to Kansas. Yep. Divided Same thing. them. Uh, except this time I actually put them in a old wheelbarrow. I made a, a garden bed out of a wheelbarrow and put them in there. Because I am starting to run out. I've divided them so many times and taken them to so many states. But I've spread those irises over three different states now. That's a really cool story. I am really behind the game on flowers. Like my Aunt Becky had an amazing flower garden. Mom has a really nice flower garden. But I like in the early years of getting into homesteading and plants in general, I had the mindset of if I can't eat it, I don't want it at all. And so I remained yeah. willfully ignorant on all things flowers. And now that I'm trying to make a very pollinator friendly um, area, I'm having to catch back up on, on that kind of stuff. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth told me that she is right and she is correct that I should have been planting flowers all along. I, I got lucky uh, kind of like you did I have my grandma's irises that she's been gone for over a decade now. And I got some irises from an old lady that here in town that's 94 years old and just some irises with some other cool stories. So it's a, it's yeah. a great plant that, and it's cool that as much as you've kept your irises going, you can turn around and hand those down to your kids and grandkids and they can keep it going, you know, back five or six generations if they wanted to that is the hope to just keep that that strain going that i've kind of just combined them all at this point but we'll see we'll keep it going all right one of the biggest things that we learned and did this year which it, it's kind of a bleed over from the year before but we finally finished this this year uh, we got our first cows to market this year they should have gone last year, but they did not. It was an absolute nightmare for those who don't know the story because we didn't have any of the proper uh, corrals and stuff like that set up and getting the cows trained. We finally ended up having to train them for an additional two months, three months actually, and that's why it bled into this year. But getting them to market, we got them there finally. Uh was a huge chore, but it was something that we were very happy to do. We made some mistakes along the way, uh, and we didn't do our meat selling quite right, but we did do it, and we uh, we were able to basically, what I tell people is that we were basically able to break even, which for trying to raise cows during a record drought is about as good as you can hope for. Yeah, that's still not bad at all. Yeah, we basically got our our section that we kept, our beef that we kept for free. So I say that's a win. That's really a win for us. Uh, so we learned a lot about it, and we let uh, we got rid of them in February. I was looking back through my pictures. That's how I keep track of everything. Uh, we got rid of them in February of this year, and we are definitely ready and thinking about. Uh, Think about doing cows again yep. this year. We let the field lie for a year. 
Hopefully we get our pond back up over the winter and we're really wanting to do it again next year because we love our beef and we're almost out of beef already. Yeah. That, I think that's a, like, that's great that you guys had success raising cows the first time instead of it going horribly wrong or anything like that. You had enough success that you're, you're looking forward to doing it again. So that's really good. Yeah. We know what to do uh, this time. We definitely know what to do better. And we're kind of a little bit, uh, for those who may not be clued into the cattle market, which I'm not, I just have good friends that are, that have guided us through it. One, another one of my really good friends, and then uh, another friend of Andrew and I's at their congregation helps us out to understand those things. But um, there was a definitely a big issue with COVID and all that kind of stuff in 2020 with cows and beef suppliers and stuff. And we're kind of coming out of that from what I'm, from what I'm hearing and seeing, we're finally getting a little bit back down to normal beef prices and normal schedules. So hopefully it'll be uh, a little more flexible and a little more easy this time around and hopefully no drought. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully no drought. So the second thing that I learned this year that was noteworthy to me is just how great named American persimmons are, specifically prop. <laughs> and we'll hear more about this if we ever do a fruit episode specifically. Yeah, this is very specific to you. <laughs> I have been several years in the making of getting fruit going. You know, whenever you plant a fruit tree, you just don't get fruit the next year unless you buy super expensive trees. And so I finally got persimmons off of some small very young grafts and the proc persimmons are huge i wish i could i could show a picture to everybody they're big they had no astringency the stuff that dries out your mouth really bad not a bit of astringency in any of them the seeds were very small compared to how big they normally are for a persimmon and they weren't like rock your socks off strongly flavored but everybody i gave one to absolutely loved them and i really like them too and so yeah the named persimmons and all the effort of grafting them was worth it over just planting seeds and growing wild seedlings so i was i was very happy to to learn that they are worth it by actually getting to experience it well um, you said you want to show a picture of everybody. Isn't there a video on your YouTube channel about you taste testing these? Yeah, there, there is a video I have of taste testing okay. the first proc ever that I got in my orchard. Yeah. Yes. So we don't have to plug your YouTube channel every 30 seconds, but I want to make that a priority. So for those of you listening, Andrew has a YouTube channel, Ugly Apple Homestead. And if you want to see him taste test it. It's on that channel. I don't remember the name of the video, but I remember watching it. It has Proc Persimmon in the name is all I remember. <clears throat> I sent you a picture. I sent you a text of how big they were in my hand. I don't know that I ever showed you a picture of it. But as far mm -hmm. as American Persimmons go, they're pretty big. Yeah. Uh, what would be a good ball to compare that to? Bigger than a golf ball. Smaller than a tennis ball. By quite a bit. But yeah, bigger than a golf ball is how I describe it. 
They look really nice. The skin on them looks really nice. They they are really pretty. By comparison, some that I picked today off some wild trees were like mm-hmm. the size of a dime to the size of a quarter. So there is a Ooh. big size difference. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, another thing that we learned this year that we had great success with was uh, we incubated eggs for the first time ourselves. I know that's something that you guys have done before. And that was probably the time of year that I called you the most. Like, did we do this right? Did we do this right? Did we do this right? Uh, but we, over half of our flock outside now, and we are getting eggs from them, uh, came from eggs that we incubated and watched hatch in our kitchen earlier this year. And so that is an awesome feeling. If you ever get the chance, especially if you have young children, the kids loved it. It was so much fun. They were constantly in there looking. Uh, <laughs> we actually live streamed it on a Facebook page for our family and friends. And we had a really fun time with everybody was like commenting on there like, oh, look, that one's hatching. Uh, it was really awesome. The second go around, we tried a second go around and it did not go well at all. But the first one was just awesome. And uh I think we, I'm trying to remember the numbers. We gave five hens away, four or five. We butchered five or six roosters, and then we kept the rest. And I think there was like 20 out of the 25 that we did the first time around. So it, it's it's been almost a year <laughs> since we've did that. But that was a really awesome feeling for us to have that success and uh i really started to kind of just dive into the math on it a little bit and we technically did get those some of those chickens for free yep by the end of if you count the roosters or not the roosters if you count the incubator as your main cost and then you divide that against how many chickens you got and i did an average of four dollars each chick because that's roughly what they were at tractor supply four to five dollars each we actually made money off of that and so if we do it again this year it'll be free which is a really cool really cool idea but again obviously we talked about genetics and we can do that again later but we won't be able to just keep doing the same strain forever with no uh genetic diversity but still it was really really fun yeah there's there's something special about watching chicks hatch especially the first few times you do it And then, like, it's hard to describe the feeling you get when you get the first eggs from chicks you hatched yourself and have walked them through every step of the way. And they're, this is a poor way to phrase it, but they're your birds. And so that's, that's always really exciting. All right. The third thing that I have is I have learned, and I I haven't told my family this yet, but I'm not going to plant sunflowers in the garden again. Uh, Yeah. You can't tell that to somebody from Kansas. Gasping noises, I know. Yeah. I I love sunflower seeds. I eat pounds and pounds and pounds of sunflower seeds from the store all year long. But whenever we do them at home, 
they look beautiful. We harvest them. There's a few things I don't like about them. First of all, with everything else we have going on in our life, we don't end up processing them into salted and baked sunflowers. We end up just chewing on them raw every once in a while, one or two here, one or two there, and that's it, which is they're not as good that way. And so just as busy as we are, we don't get around to it. Some of them inevitably go to feeding the chickens, which is fine, but I'm not wasting special room in the garden for all the space they take up in my rows just for chicken food plants. And after I hack off the leaves, after they've dried out and the plants are going downhill, I hack off the leaves and get rid of them to the chickens and the rabbits. But I have these huge stalks because the sunflowers I grow get tall, pretty tall. And yeah. like two to three inch stalks on these plants that I really can't do a whole lot with. I have to take loppers and like break them up and mix them into my compost pile and they don't compost down super easy. So I just, I think I'm going to just not mess with it. I've got enough flowers now that I don't need sunflowers there for bees or for being pretty. And I'm going to plug that hole with something else. Um, another thing we did this year, well, we had another child, so that kind of took up a lot of our time uh, in the middle of the year. But we spent, I spent a lot of effort trying to just make sure and keep the kids involved. Your kids are older, um, so they're already a little bit better at this. But we definitely were getting James, our oldest boy, in the habit of doing chores himself. So that was been that's been really helpful and getting getting him a couple times to do things with us more than a couple, uh, getting him to work alongside us. It's a struggle sometimes, and other times if it's something he loves doing, you know, you can't really get him to stop. But we spent, or I spent personally a lot of time just working on helping him do chores and stuff. I even installed handles on the chicken run that are their height and stuff so that they can get in and out and do stuff. And they have been responsible enough. Both of them have, I've been finding them just out in the chicken run, hanging out with the chickens and I'm totally fine with it. Cause I know the chickens aren't violent at all. And the kids are very responsible. So just seeing them interact with them more has been really good. I yep. think uh, it's been really good, really fun watching them hang out with the chickens and they, they get the eggs and run in with them faster than I can even think about it. You know, they're excited to, to go out there and look, especially right now we bought a few of the Easter egger variety earlier yeah. this year. We didn't need to, but we wanted to, we wanted some variety. And so now we're starting to finally get some blue eggs mixed in with our normal Brown and white eggs. And so they just are constantly running out there looking for blue eggs. So that's been that's been really fun. It's been a great addition to this year. Yeah, blue blue eggs are always fun to pull pull out and look at. And um, we we used to whenever we had more chickens than we do now, we used to give away a lot of eggs at church and stuff. And Lil Lil Wet took some eggs back home to Arkansas where she was living at the time with her, her son. 
and her son didn't realize that she'd brought home farm eggs that had blue eggs in them. And so he opened up the fridge and got into the eggs and thought somebody was playing a joke and had dyed Easter egg dye on some of the eggs and put them back in the fridge to try to trick him. But it's, it's really cool. You probably know this, but I'm going to tell other people that might not know that might possibly get blue eggs from you sometime. There's a really cool thing about blue eggs, brown eggs. When you crack them open and look at the inside of the shell, the inside of the shell is white. If you wash and scrub and scrub and scrub a brown egg, it's white underneath. And there's a brown, what they call bloom over the white shell of the egg. But blue eggs, blue eggs, when you crack them open, are blue on the inside of the shell as well. Hmm. And if you ever get an olive egg or like a green color egg, <laughs> that is we were a, thinking about doing that too. That is a blue egg that has brown bloom over the blue egg. When you crack open a green egg, it's blue on the inside. So blue blue eggs are just really, really cool. This is interesting. I actually hadn't noticed that yet because I don't think we've cracked open. We've only gotten three so far, so I don't think we've actually cracked open one yet. When, when you crack one open, take a look on the inside. It's pretty cool. Uh, the last thing I'll say is kind of along the same lines, but we spent uh, a lot of time like refining processes. We spent uh, time experimenting with different feeders, making different feeders and waters for our chickens and finding out what worked. And we're at a point right now, we have three feeders made out of five gallon buckets that we can put uh, 75 pounds of feed out there at one time. And we also have a chicken water now that's 55 gallons. And it's going to have, it has a heater in it for the winter as well. And so we spent some time experimenting with that, trying to find the best way to do that. And that's helped uh, with our chores quite a bit. You know, I've been told before and I've seen online before, you know, the more time you spend cutting down on chores the more time you'll have in general and so especially over this winter we're very hopeful that uh you know we don't have to go out as often and spend a bunch of time hauling feed a bunch of time de-icing uh waters and that kind of thing so that's that's one of our big things that we spent time doing and it's it's been really good it's been really helpful so far it's definitely cleared up a lot of time in the day for us already. That's really cool. Yeah, you're right. If you ever listen, I know you listen to Joel Salatin. If anyone else ever listens to Joel Salatin, one of the things he will tell you about trying to farm for a living and make money at it, the people that are extremely successful, like use a watch and time themselves on doing certain things like chores in this case and they find ways to cut down on how much time daily tasks take and that increases their efficiency incredibly and so anything you can do to speed up chores gives you more time to do more fun stuff more productive stuff than just daily chores 
So instead of just trying to, you know, have a bunch of animals and then constantly be doing chores, we're definitely going to be focusing on like refining processes on animals one at a time so that we're doing better and better and better with them. Yeah, that that's a great idea. Let me know how your big heated water waterer goes whenever it's like dead winter, if your heater can keep up with keeping it thawed or not, because I'd be really curious to hear about that. Well, uh, I can go ahead and tell you, uh, we did it all in time for that 20 degree streak we had yeah. here a couple of weeks ago over Halloween and it did perfect. I'm, I'm wondering more whenever it gets down to like single digits in uh, January. Well, that doesn't happen very often. It does. It, a little. It bit doesn't. Better. I'm just curious, like if you're going to have, if you're going, if it, if it makes it through that, I'm probably going to have to look into trying to get power out to my my chicken run and setting that up. Well, the, uh, the fun thing about that, and this is definitely a disclaimer, do not get electrical advice from me at all. It says on the water heater to not use extension cords to run it out there. Ah, and I'm like, well, I don't know how else you're expected to get out there. So I promptly used six extension cords to get it out there. Don't take electrical advice from me. This, <laughs> The purposes of this podcast is not to provide any sort of electrical advice at all. You know, zero electrical cords and six electrical cords are both single-digit numbers, so they can't be that far off, you know? No. And they're really thick gauge. They're really thick uh, gauge outdoor cords. It really should be fine. It's also got a thermostat on this water heater to where it doesn't just run constantly. So that's nice. I'm really not too, really not too worried about it. Yeah, that's really nice. All right. So the first major goal I have for the homestead is to grow successfully and then transplant out over 30 black walnut trees. I have a bunch of seed that is stratifying now in the ground in a special squirrel resistant bucket that has drainage built into it. And I have some lumber saved back to make some bigger, deeper, what they call air pruning beds, which we can talk about that in a different episode. I've grown plenty of trees in the air prune beds that I have this year. Oh, I forgot to write this down earlier. One thing I learned since we've moved on to goals, I'm going to talk about another thing I learned. I learned not to put mm -hmm. peach trees in an air prune bed with current cuttings because the peach trees grow outrageously fast in the air prune beds and like overgrow everything else in the bed. So if I grow peach trees in a, an air prune bed, I'm going to have to put just peach trees in the bed. But I want to move the whole homestead in the direction of agroforestry. And that is agriculture that revolves around trees. And so I have my first planting picked out. I'm going to be clearing brush eventually as I go and taking out some of the mature timber that is not what I want, cedar trees and post oaks and stuff like that, and growing beneficial long-term black walnut trees that will eventually be good for nut production and shade for animals after I get grass growing in out there. And that is a big long-term goal I have. This is the beginning stages of that. 
just as another disclaimer for our audience, Andrew is the advanced homesteader. I am the more beginner homesteader um, because my first goal that I wrote down is to master starting seeds, period. <laughs> Andrew says, I want to make sure and use this one specific type of tree and this one specific type of bed, and I just am having trouble starting seeds. Do you want to know my secret to starting seeds? Heat. A heat. All right. So I used a heat mat for the first time this year. This is also something I learned that I forgot to write down. Yes. And the heat mat seriously sped up germination. Yes. But my trick, my trick to growing stuff, even with seed, is to just plant a lot. And people don't see the stuff that dies in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, so that was our main thing that we found out that we needed to be doing that we haven't been doing is a heat map. We have been prioritizing them, putting them in the sunlight initially, which, and you can, you can chime in on this, but the main thing that they need for the first five days, especially, but for the first week or two is heat more than sunlight. Yes. Now in the wild, the source of that heat is sunlight. But if you're trying to start vegetables early inside, it is more important to have heat. So we put that we've been putting them in a sunroom uh, that is about 15 degrees cooler than the house, thinking the light was what we needed, when in reality, what we needed was the heat. So we're going to be getting heating mats this year because we always end up, we get a few things. I mean, we get a few things, but we never really get that much at all. And then we end up going to the greenhouse and buying plants, which, it, you know, I'm not dogging anybody for doing that at all. I'm not putting anybody down for doing that. And we will continue to do that because we have a local greenhouse here that we love, uh, that they are really awesome and we want to continue to support. But we also don't want to just keep buying all of our tomato plants constantly when we have seeds saved back that we know that we like, that we want to keep growing and we want to keep refining. So our, one of our major goals this year is actually starting our own plants and going from seed to fruit successfully in multiple different varieties. Yeah, we should have a whole episode on that someday, but starting from seed opens up a lot more options for you and you're not limited to what the greenhouse has. Like I've seen, several gardeners in the last year or two saying does anybody have this plant and it's a specific kind of tomato that they've grown for several years that they really like and the greenhouses just quit carrying it i don't know if there was a seed issue or they just dropped it because it wasn't popular or what mm -hmm. but they just can't find it anymore and since they were buying it from someone else rather than growing from seed they just don't have that option to grow that that variety that they like anymore. So that's that's a really good goal. Yeah, we are, by the way, uh, I will say this out loud so that we know. In January or early February, we're going to do a seed starting episode because that's about when you want to start seeds. Yeah. Is, uh, I mean, that'll give you a couple weeks to listen to the episode and make preparations accordingly. Yeah. Is what I mean. So there will be a seed starting episode soon. 
I'm going to tell you now, since you're talking about getting a heat mat, I'm not affiliated with them for anybody listening. I make absolutely nothing if you go out and buy one of these, but I bought a pretty cheap uh, Vivo Sun heat mat and thermometer off of Amazon. I don't remember if it was like 35 or 50 bucks, whatever it was for the whole kit and caboodle, but I had really, really good luck with it. And I like that having a thermostat, the way the thermostat is set up is you can adjust it and it only kicks on whenever the thermostat drops below, just like a, a thermostat for your chicken water. Yeah. And you, so you can adjust it. Otherwise it stays at a steady, like 85 degrees constantly. And so anyway, just doing it the way I did it using that, it n noticeably sped up my tomato germination specifically. Yeah, my second goal for next year is to sell a few trees. I'm going to try to do a little bit of that this fall with a few extra peach trees that I have. But I'm like, I have a dream of someday having a small backyard nursery that sells several thousand dollars of plant material. And I'm going to start trying to test the waters and see how that goes, see what's popular and what people actually are interested in because I'm a nerd. I've been told I'm a fruit and a tree and a bush snob. <laughs> and the stuff that I'm interested in is not what most people are necessarily interested in. And so I'm going to have to try to like feel my way through that for several years before I ever try to do it in a big way. So I'm going to try to move in that direction and get some trees going for uh, propagation, like grafting certain apples and stuff like that, and just see how that goes. Now, I know who your first customer is going to be. You need a tree or two? I, I'm going to want trees, for sure. I always want trees. I love trees. Well, I owe you a few apple trees since the first ones I sent over died. Nah. I have, I have a bunch of to-dos for next year, and most of them are around the garden. So I'm going to kind of, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of shoot three or four at once. No, go for it. I want to start with this one. We we talked about a couple times now having a compost episode. We have a compost pile, and it does basically nothing. Um, we dump stuff in it, and we don't manage it well, and we don't really know what we're doing. So I would really want to get that figured out and lined out how we need to do that. How big is your pile? Is. Well, it's uh, it's three pallets in a U shape. But how and how full is it? It's almost completely full to the top. Oh, it should be cooking pretty decent then. Well, I don't know that we have the right variety of stuff in there and i don't know if we've turned it enough and all that stuff so uh so that's something i'm i've been studying on already and that's something we're going to be talking about soon just so you can educate me and get me figured out on that but i really it is a complete waste what we do uh not we we're already doing better with this our kitchen scraps either go to compost or to the chickens yeah. either way I'm just saying in general, it is a travesty how much Americans waste in general. 
But if we were putting that into compost and into chickens and other stuff like that, uh, it would be less of a travesty how much we waste. Yeah, so, absolutely. So composting, making sure and use all that stuff. Uh, I'm also still one of those people where I don't do it every time, but I when I mow, I don't really like leaving a bunch of grass clippings around, so I rake to some degree. <laughs> That's a city thing that I picked up, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get rid of it, but we want to be able to use that all effectively, too. So, compost. That's a big one for us. Actually, the next three go together well, so why don't you why don't you hit me with one, and then we'll do my next three. All right, this one's pretty, pretty brief, pretty quick. I'm a little bit of a nerd on a lot of different things. And one of the things that we're going to get to do, unless something goes horribly wrong between now and spring, is get our first really decent crop of asparagus. If you grow from seed or, or crown, throws it off by a year or two. If you grow from seed, you're supposed to wait three years for your first harvest. From crowns, you're supposed to wait two years for your first harvest do a small harvest and then in the next year after that get a really like harvest it for four to six weeks every spear that pops up what i want to do is measure our asparagus yields and so just weigh them out this is how many pounds of asparagus we grew on the homestead this year and i have several plantings that are one year plants this year that are doing absolutely amazing that in two years we'll get our first uh, our first harvest from them and we can see a noticeable shift and measure okay we're up to 10 50 75 pounds of asparagus whatever it is i don't think we'll ever hit that but uh, i want to measure that and see if we can keep track of it over the course of the next several years all right so my next three that kind of all go together is all related to the garden. Um, so the first thing that we're really wanting to do this year is go for quantity. We want to, we want to see a significant decrease in our grocery bill and a significant increase in our pantry stock. And so we're going to be looking at like five or six different things, just growing large quantities of. We did that with tomatoes this year, and we had ripe tomatoes up until about a week and a half ago. It was insane how many tomatoes we have, and we still have on our shelves that we are letting. We picked all the green tomatoes before the frost came, and we we're letting them ripe, and now they're they're already ripe again, and so now we've got 10 boxes more of tomatoes. Uh, but we want to do that with lettuce and a few other things, so quantity gardening is something we really want to do. Uh, we keep messing up on, uh, which this year it kind of just fell in because of our beautiful little girl that was born this year. Uh, we didn't get to do a fall garden. We kind of forgot about it, but we keep wanting to do a fall garden where we just, there are a lot of different varieties that do better in the fall or that you can do differently in the fall that and cover crops uh just not the minute summer's over our garden is done and we can't get anything else out of it and so we want to uh 
we want to do fall gardening and we want to extend the growing season as much as we can. So we may be making some cold frames or putting up a temporary uh, heat tunnel over some of our beds just to try to extend that growing season another couple weeks, at least past when it's supposed to. So that's kind of all three of those, just taking the garden that we currently have and doing more with it than just the traditional we're going to plant three tomato plants this year and then that'll be it. If you have really good luck with a fall garden, you'll have to tell me what you did. Like, I don't know if it's our location or just being in the Ozarks or what, but we go, it seems like in my garden from scorching hot and dry in August to rainy and cool and if I try to start a fall garden, the few times I've tried to do anything in the fall, the days get shorter and it gets zapped by a frost too early. Like, I don't know that there's a way for me to do a fall garden. I normally just try to ride my summer crops all the way to frost. And some of them do better than others, but you'll have to tell me what you do if you have good luck with that this coming year. Well, I think... I think the thing that we can do, and we tried a fall garden, not this year, but the last year, and we got a couple things out of it, nothing much, but a couple. I think the thing that we have going for us is our entire property is south-facing. We are on the south side of an east-west road. Yeah. Um, and our garden is facing south, and we took out a big cluster of trees that would provide a lot of sun at about 7 a.m. in the morning, 6.30 to 7 a.m., we get an extra almost hour of heat. And so because that that garden is pretty much in direct sun all day, the frost doesn't linger. And so I think if we can just cover some stuff and keep it going, we will have enough heat. Whereas you on the side of a hill, I don't know. With trees all around you. Well, we're on a south facing. It, it slope, so we, how much we we pick up quite a bit of sunlight on a south facing slope, but we just it, it's always really hot and really dry. And the stuff that's cool weather loving that seems to do better in the fall has a yeah. really hard time taking off in August and early September, and then the days start getting cloudy and rainy usually in the early fall. Yeah. But it, you'll have to tell me all your tips and tricks if you have really good luck. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know in a year. I want to harvest and use a lot of pine straw this year instead of hay this coming year. So I've been using a lot of hay to mulch my beds. And I've avoided pine what they call pine straw. It's just dry pine needles that fall under trees. Anybody with a bunch of pine trees has had a bunch of pine needles on the ground underneath them. That's what we're talking Mm -hmm. about. And I've always avoided them because I've heard they turn your soil really acidic whenever they decompose. But I've found from reading the Mizzou Extension agroforestry um, stuff that they actually don't do that. They break down neutral And so it doesn't alter the pH of your soil, which is you don't want it to alter the pH of your soil unless you're intentionally going for that. And so I'm going to go out of my way to try to get a lot of pine straw and mulch my beds with that instead of hay. It should 
ideally have less seeds than what the hay that I, I put down, even though it's mulch, you'll have some grass seeds that will grow up through the mulch. Just like whenever farmers roll out hay bales, there's grass that pops up from the seeds in the hay in the springtime. And the other thing that I'm hoping will happen is it will actually last a little bit longer and take more than a year to decompose. The hay gets pretty tired after a year and you have to replace it. I'm hoping to get an extra season out of my mulch and my beds if I switch over to pine straw. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, I will listen and observe from afar because Elizabeth is allergic to pine. Uh, well, that kind of knocks that in the head for you, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'll be joining you on that one, but I'll be, I'll be still be interested to hear the results. I'm a, I'm a big fan of mulching everything at this point, Yeah, but I'm still doing a lot of experimenting on what works the best in every situation. And so I'm, I'm hopeful for pine straw working out pretty good. Quick tip real quick on mulch. Uh, we had the power line trimmers coming through our area for the yep. past month. And I've gotten three loads of mulch for free from them. I'm jealous because we haven't got any wood chips in a few years. We have too much. If you want to drive three hours and come get some, you can. But, <laughs> I don't um, think I'll hire a semi to come get some, but I, I am jealous yeah. that you have that much. All right. So I have two more. And one of them is for you as well, even though we haven't talked about it beforehand. But the first one is, uh, the first of these last two is for me. Uh, my big problem is that I start projects and don't finish them. Um, my goal for the next year is just to finish projects. Like I have a list in my head and on my phone of things that I've started that I haven't done that just kind of pile up on my workbench out in my garage and just don't get done. And so one of my big things that I'm doing is just instead of seeing the next cool project, because trust me, I would much rather be building a greenhouse right now than finishing some of these other things. I really want to build a greenhouse so badly. Um, but I've got some other projects that are going to take priority and that are going to be very helpful. I've been working on a tractor for about two years now and a, and a suburban for a year, almost a year now. And those are just going to need to be, I'm going to have to put everything to the side and get those done. And once those are done, they're going to be a really huge benefit. Uh, I got myself in too deep on both of them, but I'm pulling myself out on them and it's going to be awesome. The things that I can do with them once I have them done. So uh, if I can get the tractor done over the winter, which I even made very significant process to progress today, uh, the day that we're recording it, we're going to be able to put in huge amounts of garden beds next year with it. That's really and, cool. Yeah. Something, something that you don't get to do as much because yours is on the side of a hill. <laughs> yep. But that's something that I can do and something that I'm going to take advantage of. The last goal, homesteading-wise, and I, uh, this is also going to translate over to the spiritual eventually, but this is for you two as well. Uh, the goal that I have for us this year is to build community. 
I'm really uh, thankful and excited that you agreed to do this with me. I've been wanting to do something like this for a while. And even though this may not be the most perfectly refined thing, I just want to keep trying to build community uh, in the homestead and in the church community. And so uh, I would like to spend the next year focused on this and some other things. I really want to uh, see your YouTube channel grow. I'd like to start putting out some sort of content. I don't know where or what yet, but I really want to do some sort of video content that would be helpful to people as well or encouraging to people as well. So uh, that's kind of a goal I have for us in the homesteading area this year is to build that community. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about that too. And I'm not going to plug my YouTube channel again, but for whatever reason, I put out a seed collecting video for certain flower seeds recently that yeah. was fairly popular and people all over the world were watching it. And I'm up over 400 subscribers. And so that's like a, a nice milestone that I was able to hit. And that's exciting. And I'm also really happy with how this is going. And Elizabeth is doing a really good job of making us sound good whenever she edits us. And I'm, I'm excited to keep talking about this kind of stuff. Ugly Apple Homestead on YouTube. I'll plug it so you don't have to. <laughs> All right. Are you ready so, to switch over to the spiritual? Yes. Yes, we are. All right. So we're going to start off by talking about things we learned in this year that pertain to spiritual matters. And this is not extremely noteworthy, but it's fresh in my mind. And it's still something that I'm chewing on and thinking about. We always call Thomas the doubting apostle. You know, whenever someone is doubtful about something, you might say, you're just being a doubting Thomas. And I've learned whenever we're studying John in the adult class that that is really not a fair way to paint Thomas. Whenever you're in John 20, you have Jesus appear to the women at the tomb. You have um, Peter and John go see that the tomb is empty. You have Jesus appearing to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And that's not in John, but we know that happens on the same day. And then they come, Jesus comes and appears to the disciples. And in verse chapter 20 of John and verse 20, it says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. And it goes back to them not believing. And the other accounts, Jesus is rebuking them. They don't believe Mary that Jesus is risen. They don't believe the disciples on the road from Emmaus. They were glad whenever they saw Jesus. But for them to believe, Jesus had to show up and say, Here are the holes in my hands. Here is the hole in my side. Touch them if you need to. Because they did not believe. And then whenever you get down to Thomas doubting and starting in verse 24, look at what Thomas says. Unless I see in his hands the mark of his nails and place my finger into the mark of his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He is just saying that he wants the same evidence that they had the opportunity to see 
and they didn't believe until they could do the things Thomas said he wanted to do before he would believe. And so later on, whenever Jesus shows up immediately, uh, after he says, put your finger here and put your, put your hand in my side, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He is actually faster to believe than the other apostles were in the same circumstance. And so we're really not fair to Thomas whenever we call him a doubting, a doubting person. He did nothing that the rest of the apostles didn't do. <laughs> we single him out, but the rest of them were just as guilty. Yeah. One of the things that one of the studies that we uh, did at our congregation that I was kind of asked to do, I did a questions and answers for a while. Uh, and one of the things they really asked a lot of questions about was angels and demons and end times. And so, you know, I'm just all right. You know what? I'm just going to say it the way I want to say it. I feel like I have a really good handle on those things. I understand them very well however i don't know much about them because we're not told much about them yeah what, what we are what we do know if you take the time to uh read some articles by faithful brothers at really just focus on instead of hypotheticals and things like that just focus on what does the bible tell us about it if you take the time to get rid of uh whatever movie and tv fluff that you have seen if you take the time to expunge that from your mind and really just focus in on here's what we know the bible is very clear about the role of angels the role of demons uh we're not told a lot it's really clear on what it wants you to know about end times again it's not a lot. It's not enough for a lot of people. But what is there is, with a little bit of study and a little bit of work, what is there is easy to understand, easy to comprehend. And it's our mind desiring more details that really is what trips us up and what makes us feel like it's so complicated and so hard to understand. And so I would encourage you, uh, if that's something that you struggle with or something that you're confused about, just take the time to strip away all that, all the pop culture stuff that you feel like you know or don't know. Get rid of that stuff out of your mind and just start with a basic, what does the Bible say about X, Y, and Z? And you'll find yourself with a lot of confidence and a lot of answers, maybe not as many as you want, but you'll find yourself with all the answers you need. Yeah, I'd... I say I don't completely understand it, but at the same time, I do. People are drawn. There's a, a magnetism that some, that draws people oh, to yeah. the things that you don't know much about in the Bible. And I have all sorts of questions about the patriarchal age, exactly how everything functioned, how the priesthood of Melchizedek functioned, how, like how that was handed off. Was there a lineage? What was going on with that? And the truth is we just don't know because God didn't tell us. Nope. It's not necessary for us to know. I want to know more. I'm very curious about all that stuff, yep. 
but it's just like the what you're talking about. We don't have a lot on those topics, but Jude tells us we have everything we need. Yeah, and and like I said, what is there is e- is easy enough to understand. Yeah, what is there? Now, if you want more, you're gonna have to take it. You're gonna have to take that one up with God. But what is there? is easy to understand if you take the time to invest in it. So a lot of end time stuff this year, a lot of demons, a lot of angels, and I feel pretty good about what God has told us on those subjects. Yeah, it's enough. And I'm, I'm not going to phrase this the best way, but that kind of stuff really is not beneficial to your average everyday Christian most of the time. Like if you, if God had told us this is the exact origin of demons that has zero bearing on our daily living, you know, it changes absolutely nothing about how we function in our day to day. And so there's a reason God did not supply that it just wasn't necessary for us and we have to be humble enough to accept that answer at some point yes but i will i will counteract just a little bit by saying um once you know what it is that you're supposed to know about those things that can help you in your daily living yes because i absolutely believe because the bible teaches us that there is spiritual warfare going on um a lot of people talk about spiritual warfare there i there could be an angel and a demon fighting on top of my head right now. I don't know, but God has made it very clear that all of that is in his control and in his purview. And I don't have to worry about it because it will not affect my salvation or my day-to-day life. Yeah. All right. My next thing that I have is I I have known about this, but I did not realize how much God talked about it in the Old Testament. And that is the importance of caring for widows and orphans and those that are less fortunate. So we we all know that it's in the book of James, probably, you know, pure and undefiled religion is this, caring for orphans and widows, I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. But that is that is like the definition of pure religion, caring for people that are less fortunate than you. Caring for people that can't do anything for you in return. Yes, they can't provide for themselves and they're not going to be able to pay you back most likely. And I so I knew that was there in James. I knew I've known that for a long, long time. But going back through the Old Testament several times this year, I just kept running across that in the prophets, in the Psalms, and it just, it really was starting to jump out at me, and I was noticing it a great deal. God has always been very consistent on caring for those that are less fortunate than you, specifically orphans and widows. And so if God has been so focused on it that and consistent on that, that he's been talking about it since the Israelites came out of Egypt and he was still talking about it to the early church, how important is it for us today to continue to focus on caring for those that cannot provide for themselves? Yeah, doing things for others that you're not getting anything in return for. I mean, that's technically what Jesus did for us. So it's a way, it's a way of reenacting what Jesus has done for us. 
Yeah. And our culture has, I say, unfortunately, it's more complicated than this, but the government has stepped in in a lot of ways and tried to take the place of what the church has traditionally done in caring for elderly people in certain ways and orphans as well. And it's very tempting for people to just sit back and say, well, somebody else is taking care of these people that are in need. But the government stepping in and trying to do that doesn't negate the commands of God and our, Mm -hmm. our requirement to do the commands of God. We are told to take care of those people. It's not the government's job. It is the church's job specifically to take care of those people. One of the things I <laughs> I hesitate to put it in this category, but I will uh, more about being a father, learning more about being a father. I don't think I've arrived. I definitely know I haven't arrived at the pinnacle of fatherhood. And everybody will tell me, and I completely agree, and I completely understand that every phase of life is different. Uh, but definitely starting to see... Uh, some wins and some big progress in the way that we parent our children, the way that I parent my children, and then the way that they respond to that. Um, because of going out on the internet, I just don't want to get too super personal on that, but definitely watching uh, my son start to do the things that I teach him to do, that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to guide him into doing. Uh, the way that he's starting to treat his sister better, not perfect by any means, but better, um, and starting to stand up for her and defend her and those kind of things. I, I definitely feel like I'm going to put that in the win category, but I'm not putting that in the I've completed it and we're ready to move on to the next thing category. I hope that everybody understands what I mean by that. Definitely don't don't think I'm a master at it. Uh, but enough wins to make me feel like that's something that I've greatly improved on this year. Yeah. I'm going to follow that up with on my end, I have all girls and Elizabeth about broke me this year. Whenever she told me that our oldest one is more than likely we have spent more than half of our time raising her as a child. Like she's broken that barrier of being old enough that more than likely we have spent more than half of the time raising her already that we're going to get with her to do train her. However, we're going to train her before she goes out into the world Mm -hmm. and man, that hurts whenever somebody actually puts that in front of you. And one of the things I kind of stumbled across and picked up and stumbled across it again uh, several times and a couple of studies that weren't really related to each other is how traditionally through the Old Testament, how fathers of daughters interacted and handled the transition of their daughter leaving them. And that kind of sounds weird, but it's always hard for a father to turn a daughter loose and we're not Mm -hmm. there yet with her. We're still a ways off from that, but seeing the responsibility of a father to daughters 
in the Old Testament especially has changed my view a little bit of how what my responsibilities are as a father and also what my goals are and responsibilities are if she grows up and doesn't get married. You know, there's not just a an overwhelming plethora of young Christian men, unfortunately, mm-hmm. at this point. We have got around in some homeschool groups and stuff like that and met others. But if it doesn't work out where she finds a young man and marries him, what my responsibilities to an unmarried daughter of an adult age looks like. I started trying to pay special attention to that, going through especially the Old Testament. And that was hard and deep for me to go through and adjust adjust what I had thought being a, a man in my 40s would look like as far as being a parent. Yeah, so um, my daughter is three, and three. the other one is three months, so you can just hush up about that, because I don't want to hear anything about that for another 10 years. Yeah, well, in 10 <laughs> years, somebody's going to say, you've spent half your time raising your daughter already. Do you realize that? Uh, and you're going to cry yeah. on the inside and say, no, I hadn't thought about it. Thanks for reminding me. Well, I, I mean, I did hit the realization James is six years old. Uh, that's He's one-third of the way to being a legal adult. Yep. So, yeah, I kind of had a similar realization this year. But, yeah, you're definitely uh, approaching it the right way. And I'm glad I can just piggyback off of your work here in a few years. The last thing I wanted to say on that subject was I have spent a lot of time and it has been a huge blessing um, building a team of teachers at our congregation. Uh, We have over, well, we have two other men who I'm very close to and very grateful for who regularly take Bible class uh, duties from me and are willing to step up and preach when I need to go somewhere or want to go somewhere, which is an incredible blessing. Uh, designing Bible classes around that structure has been awesome, but we have a total of one, two, three, four, five, six other men that have taught Bible class, not counting me That's great. at a small congregation, which is insane. Um, that's really good spending a lot i spent a lot of time trying to encourage that and work on that this year and it's definitely paying off uh it's something that i really really believe that all churches need to be doing all churches congregations of the church i'm sorry i don't use the proper terminology as often as i should that's a that's a goal for next year. Say congregations instead of churches, because there's only one church, the church that Jesus built and died for. Um, but all congregations need to be working on having a team of men that can do this, even if they have a pulpit minister that they pay and who's in charge of it most of the time, have a team of men that can do that, because that will greatly greatly benefit your church and it will be a huge blessing for the guy that you do pay to do that yeah i agree that's great all right next year all right so 
goals goals for next year spiritually my first one and this will probably be a goal for the rest of my entire life but it is to pray more deeply if that makes sense not to pray more per se i feel like i have a decent volume of prayer in my life not that you could ever say that you pray enough of course but i pray enough times through the day what i find is that i i don't take the i don't un, unload my heart to god enough whenever you go back through the old testament especially and you look at some of the the classic prayers like of david and daniel and and others they are pouring their hearts out to god and i would like to do that more often where i just blah the contents of my heart out in a productive way to god it's really funny because that was one of the four that i have well it's mine you can't have that one well no i'm taking it too (laughs) Uh, one thing that i've been doing i really i have a love-hate relationship with the concept of praying before every meal yeah which is a pretty which is a pretty controversial take to have and I understand it. And generally uh overall I really like the fact that we're doing it out in public to be an example. Now that I have younger kids that are able to do it, I think that that's a really really good thing to help them get in the habit of it. But all too often I see adults and myself included I was doing this uh, where you just say the same thing real quick every time because you're hungry yeah. and you're ready to get to your meal. So you just say the same thing really quick, and it definitely does not help you pour your heart out to God yeah. at all. In fact, it just kind of helps you habitualize prayer in a – not habitualize, ritualize. Let's say it that way. Helps you just ritualize prayer into this thing that we've got to say uh, – I don't remember because I've never seen this, but I've been told by people who are not Christians. uh, Some people I was talking to who were actually kind of making fun of us for that. Uh, Is it the Simpsons or family guy where he says, rub a dub dub. Thanks for the grub. Yay. God. Oh, I I haven't heard heard that one before. Okay. Well, I just, I want to say it's the Simpsons that he says that in, I just don't know because I've never watched either of them. But a lot of, you know, if you're just saying the same thing as a ritual to bless the food so that you're not cursed by eating it, you're missing the point of it. And so I have been really specific about I'm not going to I'm not going to make that my daily prayer because we are about to eat and I'm hungry, but making sure that we say something specific about the day or something specific about what's going on. Or if there's somebody that's, you know, in surgery or somebody that's having problems, you know, that we pray for them specifically real quick. Uh, So praying in a way that is special and unique every time while still retaining uh, the habit of it. Uh, But my personal prayer life beyond that, is definitely just something that's like every few days I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't prayed in a while. And that's really stupid of me. 
because it's one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. So that's definitely a goal for next year is to habitualize prayer without ritualizing prayer. So my second one is to start reading the Psalms consistently. And my goal is fairly early in the morning, either before work or early on in the day when I get a break at work. And I've, I've done this off and on a whole bunch. I will start doing it, read it for several days or a couple of weeks, and then I'll get busy one day and I won't. And then I just don't pick it up again. And then I'll be like, I need to get back to doing that. And so I do it and then I stop and I do it and I stop and I do it and I stop. And I want to become consistent in that because whenever I start the day fairly early by reading one of the Psalms, it usually drastically changes my outlook on the day and helps me keep spiritual things in mind much easier as I go through my day. So I want to be, I want to be consistent in doing that. So I'll say mine that's similar, similar, but different to that. Uh, My goal for this year is to really study through the entirety of the Torah, which is kind of the exact opposite of Psalms, but not, but the way it's written it's written in a style exactly the opposite of songs. Yeah, it is. You're wanting to read through this. You're wanting to read through this beautiful book of poetry about having a relationship with God. And I'm wanting to read through law, (laughs) but I really want to focus in on what the purpose of all the individual ones were and really kind of try to get a grasp on which of them we're supposed to follow today and which one we're, we're not. Because I think in our, um, I'll just say generally because I still want to figure it out for sure. But generally in our desire to say, well, Jesus freed us from all of that, we kind of ignore all of it. And I don't know that we should ignore all of it. Yeah. So I want to really dig into that and get the lessons and the the principles and potentially the rules that we are su- still supposed to follow out of that and figure out what we're supposed to be doing with it. But poetry is nice too. <laughs> no, I love, I love the Psalms. It's amazing. So I would, are you going to compile a list as you go through of you know, I'm really, I'm really bad about that kind of stuff, but I really think I should. If you do, I would really like to look at it because I've, as I, I've studied the old law a fair amount before this, I've kind of in my head just noticed, okay, this one obviously carries over to the New Testament because of a command we have. This one obviously was just for ritual purposes this one's obviously just for cleanliness you know stuff like that sanitation purposes but i've never sat down and listed them out and i would be really curious to like actually sift through and see what you sort out i don't know that i don't know that my ramblings are going to be worth anything but i'll see what i can do and also 
I know that like it's not the same as Psalms, but whenever we go back and see the law that was handed to the Israelites, like we shouldn't ignore, and I, I'm not saying you were doing this, but everybody that is reading that shouldn't ignore the fact that there is a lot of relationship stuff there. <clears throat> like whenever, um, whenever God is on the mountain and he's giving the commands to the people, he says, you, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And they all, all the elders of Israel and by extension, all of Israel said, we will follow your commands. We will enter. I'm paraphrasing now. We will enter into this relationship with you. And so there is a lot of relationship stuff that happened with the giving of the law. A lot of people just look at it as God gave them a list of don't, don't do this, do do this. But there was a lot more relationship stuff there buried underneath all that, that we need to not ignore. Mm -hmm. And then I'll add in on the Psalms, because this is my favorite thing is that, uh, any man who feels like the Psalms is too girly or too poetic for him needs to remember who wrote it. Uh, David has fought more battles and conquered more nations than you ever will on Call of Duty. Yeah. And he's done it for real. And he then spent a majority of his life writing Psalms, sometimes writing these poems in the middle of conquering nations and kingdoms. So it's one of the manliest books in all of scripture, in my opinion, so, or so. also while fleeing for his life. Yeah. You know, it, that it covers the whole gamut of his life from fleeing for his life, entirely dependent upon God mm -hmm. to see daylight next morning to being the King on top of the Hill that no one can knock off. Yep. And then, the masterpiece that is Psalm 119. Um, it really bugs me because I feel like a lot of Christians are just like, yeah, Psalm 119 teaches us the Bible is important. I know it's important. I can move on. No, you don't know how important the Bible is until you read that. Yeah, it, it's a lot deeper than that. Important. It's a lot deeper than just it's important because there's a lot of other things that are important too having a little bit of working knowledge of the IRS tax code is important too, but it's why is it important versus the Bible? Psalm 119 will help you figure that out. Yeah, it really, it, Psalm 119 really shows us the benefits of it, what happens if you don't, and also why it's important to consider it important enough to put in your heart, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, and really, I believe that Christians should get past the point of just saying it's important because it shows us how to get to heaven. Yes, it is. But there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. And how it does that and why it does that is a whole other discussion that's way deeper than just saying it helps us go to heaven. Yeah. That, that's an answer that we can teach a four-year-old to say. Let's get past that and let's get deeper into our relationship with God's word. All right. So my third goal, spiritual goal for next year is 
one of my duties as a deacon is to be in charge of the Bible class curriculum that the, the kids teachers use. And Mm -hmm. I, I put something together loosely based on apologetics press curriculum years and years and years ago. And I've just been recycling it. And I, it's very, very bare bones. And I've known for a long time, I should be, giving teachers a lot more tools that AP provides, at least if we're going to stick with that mm-hmm. for a long time, but it's a huge undertaking to get all of that accessible for other people and then put it in their hands. So I've just, I've shoved that off for a really, really long time. And now leaning very heavily on Elizabeth's help, to get that stuff printed and available where I can just make copies of it and put it in people's hands. My goal is to get that kicked off early next year where we are equipping our teachers much better with the tools they can use to speed up preparing a Bible class. So they have ideas on handouts on songs to sing they'll have memory verses ready to go they aren't having to do all that stuff from scratch i'm a big big fan of doing bible classes completely from scratch like that's how i very very much prefer to do my bible classes when i teach them but not everybody is me they don't have the same style and a lot of people are busy and doing a Bible class is something that is a big time commitment. And so giving them these tools that give them the option to help speed it up, I think would be yeah. beneficial for the teachers that are, are spending their time and effort teaching the kids here. That sounds like a very worthy goal. All right. I've got two more. How many do you have? I've got one. So you go ahead. Okay. Well, I got, that'll be perfect. All right. So this other one is like really simple. And I don't really know how I'm going to do it, but I just wrote down be positive. (laughs) I, I really tend to focus on the negative of like, this is going wrong and this is going wrong and we need to fix it. Um, which obviously if there's something wrong, it needs to be fixed, but looking for positives and being more positive about the things that are going on, having a better attitude uh, because I don't want any negative attitudes that I have about things that are going on to reflect back to my children. Yeah. So I don't really know how I'm going to do that. I'm just going to stumble my way through being a more positive person. I would guess there's probably some stuff in the Bible about it. Uh, so I'm going to try to search that out and find it. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to find it in the Torah or not. I may have to look somewhere else for that. But <laughs> I am going to piggyback off of that for a, a sub point. I am going to try to have more joy that is visible to others. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. I've wanted to write or teach about this for a while, but it's hard to do because I struggle so much with it. Like whenever we go, whenever we go to a Bible class or or worship, 
people will say, hi, how are you doing? And I almost always say I'm tired <laughs> and I'm being, I'm being incredibly honest. I am exhausted. I am tired. There is a lot going on and yeah, I'm, I'm really tired. And I, I never, I never look somebody square in the face and say, I am overjoyed to be here. And I, so I have faith in God. I have faith in our relationship. I have every hope of spending eternity in heaven, but I don't express the joy I have to others well at all. And so that yeah. is a, that is a goal of mine that I'm going to try to work on. That's very similar to your, your be positive. Well, that's, that's a lot more specific of a way to do that. So I'll probably just copy off of you to start with. If, if you figure out how to do it, really well you let me know <laughs> all right so we we forgot to say this at the beginning for the past few times but if you want to email your comments uh especially on things or ways to be positive because andrew and i are both very uh the way the world is going type people yeah. um our email address is five acre parables at gmail.com if you want to email us about how to be positive we would appreciate your help and we will read your comments on the next podcast. Absolutely. So my, my last one is I am not well equipped for this at all. I don't know why I feel compelled to try to do this, but I would like to set at least one psalm to music enough to be able to sing it in English, if that makes sense. All the psalms were meant to be sang originally. The Hebrew doesn't make it like easy English song lyrics necessarily for us yeah. today, but I would like to take some of the easier ones, some of the shorter ones, and put it to music enough to where I can sing them if it goes well, I can teach my family to sing them and we can put God's heart in our, I'm sorry, I phrased that wrong, put God's word in our heart easier because we learn scriptures and stuff like that usually much easier by song. So I've tried a few different ways to do it. I've never been able to get it hammered out the way I want. And so I'm... I want to do that as a little side project. Um, can I just ruin that for you? Yes, please. Tell me uh, somebody's done it and it's on the internet. Somebody's done it and it's on the internet somewhere. Tell I me don't where. Remember where it is on the internet. I don't know where it is on the internet. We're going to find it. There is a man uh, who I have never met and at this point, never will meet until we get to heaven, a Christian named Matthew Basford, uh, who is somebody that one of the men at our church was pretty familiar with. Uh, he had ALS for the longest time. Okay. And I has actually just passed away. I read about him the like other day. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably why, because he just passed away two weeks ago. Uh, he has written original hymns a boatload of original hymns but there is a uh book that he's done where he has set 
the Psalms to music. I don't remember if he's done all of them or not, uh, but uh, one of our deacons led us in two of them the other night in our singing night, and he had it set to tunes that we already know from songs, and they were done well. Uh, a lot of times, and this is a personal peeve of mine, if you're going to write a song, please write the music well <laughs> and teach it well. Um, but he's done a really good job with this, uh, and I really liked the way it worked. So I will try to find that for you. I, I found it. I found it. It's called Worshipping with the Psalms by M.W. Bassford. It's like 13 bucks online, so I'll I'll get that for Christmas. Uh, he pretty much couldn't do it. He was, uh, I don't remember exactly how his condition played out, but he got to the point where he couldn't do anything but type or had people type for him. So uh, he did a lot of writing. Were the song, the psalms that you guys sang from this, were they to tunes that you fairly well knew or were they brand new tunes? No, no, that's what I was saying. It was the songs we already knew. Okay. It was to hymns, to hymns that it wasn't like old McDonald at a farm. It was to hymns that we already knew. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's in the description. Paired, each one's paired with a well known tune. Yes. So, anyway, never, never met him. Never met him at all. I only knew of him through this person, but, uh, read some writings of his very faithful Christian, very raw thoughts about dealing with that kind of illness and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, he is obvious that his relationship with God was very strong. So he, he was fairly young when he passed too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly young. Yeah. So, all right. Last, last one. And, same one as the last one for the homesteading, and it's for you and for I to build this community. Uh, spiritually, I'd like to figure out ways to to create usable content. I don't know what form that'll take. Hopefully, we can figure out a good thing for us to be doing next year, but using this kind of as a platform to start with that as well. We want to continue to find ways to... Uh, there are tons of faithful brothers and sisters creating resources. And I just want to be part of that because sometimes these resources fit your congregation and your lifestyle and the way that you learn. And sometimes they don't, and that's okay. Uh, so the more options you have, the better it, chance you are of going to find something that really helps you. And I would rather be a uh, part of that group. I want to be part of that group of people making those kind of things to help people. So Hopefully look for look for more encouragement from us spiritually in the next year. I would like to see this be of benefit to some people. And eventually I would like to get to the point where we had enough interaction with people to where we could do a question and answer episode for both homesteading stuff and more importantly, the any spiritual questions people might have that we could uh try to do a good job of answering on the air. So I, I'm excited to see where this goes in the next year. 
All right. And with that, Andrew started us out, but I'm going to go ahead and finish us off. This has been Five Acre Parables Podcast. Uh, we hope that you have a blessed holiday season and a amazing new year. And uh, look for us in the next year. Thank you very much. We'll see you next year. <laughs> you have been listening to the Five Acre Parables Podcast.